Welcome to episode 37 of the Two Touch Podcast. I'm your host, Trevor Dalglish, and as always, I'm joined by Tim Boner Jams Bouts. Today, we're focusing squarely on the U.S. men's national team. Why are we talking about the U.S. men's national team? Well, they had a hell of a week last week, and not quite in the good way. In fact, I think the week was very polarizing in the end. Cliff Notes, the, uh, the too long don't read, is that the senior team had two matches last week. They were friendlies, one against Jamaica, one against Northern Ireland. We'll get into details of that. And then also, at the same time, the U.S. men's national team was trying to qualify for the Olympics. So the U23 U.S. men's national team were, were playing in those games. Friendlies went well. Qualifying, not so much. But we'll get into, uh, we'll probably close out the, the episode with a discussion about not making the Olympics and give our two cents on it because the whole world is doing that and people can't really come to a consensus on how they feel about it but everyone definitely is very dramatic so we'll try to give some not so hot takes on it let's put it that particularly way. Taylor, Taylor Twelman he is the most dramatic about it he is he's just everything he says sounds so angry even if he's like complimenting someone it just sounds angry yeah true true all right so we've got a lot to cover so we're going to jump right into it Let's start with last Thursday, U.S. men's national team. The senior team took on Jamaica in a friendly. The result of the match was 4-1 to the U.S. So paint, paint the picture a little bit here. This was an, I would say, an okay Jamaica team. So no Leon Bailey, which is probably their best player in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and J- Jamaica is kind of interesting. This is a, a little bit of a tangent. Um, catching myself before I go too deep, but Jamaica's in an interesting position because there's been a lot of recent news of players actually in England who have uh, dual citizenship that are, have been associated with the English setup their whole careers, but haven't actually been capped at the senior level. A lot of them have the dual citizenship with Jamaica. So they're starting to say, Hey, you know what, maybe I'm going to commit to Jamaica for the next world cup. One of the bigger names is Antonio from West Ham. Uh, he's the striker for West Ham. He's a very solid player. He's committed his um, allegiance to Jamaica. So there's a couple other players that have been doing the same thing. And it's interesting. So if they qualify for the World Cup, Jamaica could have a pretty, like a sneaky good team. I mean, they're obviously not the caliber of, you know, the Germanys, the Portugals, the the Spains or whatever, but it probably would be one of their best teams they've ever had going to a an international tournament. So pretty interesting. But anyways, like I said, tangent, my bad. Let's get into the actual match. Talking from the U.S. side, they rolled out their typical 4-3-3. I would say this was a relatively strong lineup that they put out. Um, so players that keep players that were missing, I think off the top of my head, um, Weston McKinney did not join the team for this friendly and Tyler Adams did not as well. Is there any other major names that I'm missing out on? I throw out Tim Weah as well. Uh, yep. He was selected to the team but did not travel because of uh, COVID travel restrictions. Got it. Yep. So of the starting lineup, the the area I was most interested in was the actual the attacking three. So going from left to right, on the left starting, we had Christian Pulisic, the 22-year-old American phenom from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Everyone knows who he is. He is you know, our, our, our guiding hope, I guess you could say. The baby Jesus, as he's known, known by with uh, Sam's Army. Yes, yes, the, uh, the Barstool account, Sam's Army, baby Jesus. So 
he started on the left, which was great to see. He hasn't been getting a lot of run with Chelsea, his his parent club. So getting a lot of minutes for the U.S. was great to see because he performed very well, in my opinion. So he started on the left. On and the, just one ahead. second. It's worth noting that he hasn't gotten a lot of run for the U.S. men's national team under Greg Berhalter, largely because of injuries, uh, a little bit because of club situation. Um, but great to see him get some minutes with what could be uh, a compelling team going into the Gold Cup. For sure, for sure. So on the flip side of that, on the right, we had Gio Reyna, which is, again, another U.S. wonder kid, 18-year-old, playing for Borussia Dortmund. I think this is probably where he's going to end up in the starting lineup. He, he, You have to expect him to be there. He can also play sort of a on the inside kind of a second striker or a number 10 role. I guess not a traditional 10 that you'd think, but he can kind of occupy that space well but I think we'll expect him to see him on the right side of a front three and then the most intriguing of the front three because it's the most it's the biggest question mark we've talked about it on previous episodes but Josh Sargent started at the number nine spot he's a 21 year old who plays for Werder Bremen and this is interesting because we don't really have a true striker I guess that's that's one of the positions of the starting 11 at least in our eyes that's the biggest question mark at this point so it was good to see him get run there. He's he's a very good player, but not in your traditional nine sense. So I think when he was 18 years old, everyone was pumping his tires, being like, yes, this is like the future striker of the U.S. men's national team. Then the following two years, he had pretty mediocre seasons with Werder Bremen, where definitely wasn't getting on the score sheet. The team as a whole was just a dumpster fire. So it was really hard to pull anything positive out of his play. But this year... He's, I don't know what, if anything's really changed or maybe the team's improved around him and he's just finally playing with better players. I don't know. You're the, Bones is the, the resident Bundesliga expert, so he might be able to add some light to this. But he, his link-up play has been phenomenal and he's starting to get on the score sheet and in, for his club, Werder Bremen. And then for this match, although he didn't score, he was fantastic with link-up play and was very active and... It was great because, you know, yeah, Polisic and Gio Reyna who can run off of him. And so he was linking up well, well with them and even linking up well with Serginho Dest, who is was playing kind of a wing back but was had license to cut in pretty much at any point he wanted to. So he was facilitating a lot of the offense. So not really your traditional number nine, but he was super sharp in my opinion. And he also ended up getting a, a later assist in the match to Brendan Aronson. Really creative play. I, I think that, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think his name is Florian Kofeld is the manager of Werder Bremen. Could be wrong about that. But, you know, he's been at Bremen for a while. He's always been big on on Josh Sargent. Um, it's just difficult because Werder Bremen, given how difficult a situation that they've been in the past couple of years, fighting fighting the relegation battle, they haven't had a true number nine. They've, they've struggled for goals. Um, but one thing that, that Florian Kofeld has done is, is starting to deploy um, a front uh, front three that are relatively interchangeable, which is similar to what um, what the U.S. has been rolling out recently, where Josh Sargent, yeah, he needs to be able to hold up the ball and link up with his, his fellow uh, forwards, but that's not his primary purpose. I think creativity, um, uh, both with the ball and without the ball, are paramount, and that's really what led to the assist that they got. Uh, I think that he is a really smart, very creative player. He has the ability to score, 
hasn't really proved to be a consistent goal scorer throughout his career, although this year he has been slightly more consistent than in the past. But it shows that he's just not a one-trick pony, that he can offer more things going forward than just um, either holding up play, scoring goals, what have you. Yeah, and I have to remind myself of this all the time, but he's only 21. So for some reason in my head, I think of him as like a 24 or 25-year-old where you should have a better idea of what the type of player is, but he can still develop and, and, you know, polish his game up even more he could be he could be the striker of the future so sure yeah. Uh, yeah so don't want to go too much in the weeds with this match um you know it, it was a friendly it it was a little sloppy at times and i think that's kind of expected as this group really hasn't played that much together and you know jamaica's it's the same case for them and it wasn't their strongest team so not too many things to take away from it only other thing to really know for me was serginio dest he scored a world-class goal to get it started this guy is phenomenal. And it's so weird because he's probably our best player. At least he, he appears to be right now. And it, it's weird to call your, you know, a, a fullback or a wingback, your best player, but going forward, he was so dangerous. So it's this weapon that is such a luxury. And the only problem with it is as a defender, you know, we have to make sure the rest of the defense is sound for him to move forward. But if we can make sure of that, then he's going to cause troubles for no matter what team that we go against, because he's doing it for his club, Barcelona in La Liga, he's scoring goals now. And um, the guy is just a special talent. We got super lucky uh, nailing him, getting him down from uh, the Dutch team. Yeah. And and I think that, I mean, the goal that he had was an absolute worldie. It was nuts. And I agree with your assessment that, it was a bit sloppy at times. I guess that's understandable given that these players haven't played much with each other. Although if you're struggling for, you know, at least the first half, if not 60 minutes against, uh, you know, a, a relatively mediocre to poor Jamaica team that doesn't necessarily bode well for, for qualification and then moving forward in gold cup or, or world cup. Um, the one thing that I, I wanted to pa- point out with Serginio Dest, and we, we'll talk about this a little bit more um, in regards to the, to the Northern Ireland game, um, Serginio Dest played on the left uh, during during the Jamaican match, and he's it's great to have the versatility that you can play on the left, you can play on the right, and there's really no drop in form. But I, I do think that there was a slight drop in form between Reggie Cannon and Serginio Dest on the right. I think Reggie Cannon did okay, um, but he was essentially at fault for the second goal. Yeah. I think that Reggie Cannon is a very good reserve uh, reserve fullback. I don't think that he should be our starting starting right right back. I think Serginio Death should should own that role. Yeah. Um, and particularly because I, I thought that Anthony Robinson did have a good game against Northern Ireland. He does lack a little bit defensively, but I think that going forward offensively from a, from the left side, he's certainly the best in, in the group uh, other than Serginio, but I think is, is proving on the world stage in the Premier League that he can make a difference. And so I, I personally think that he's locked down that position or should, should be given that position and yep. should be given the starting role moving forward so that he can integrate himself into that system. Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's paint that picture a little bit more. Let's jump into uh, the Northern Ireland match. So things to note, the result of the match, so U.S. versus Northern Ireland, result of the match was 2-1 to the U.S., uh, another, I would argue, even sloppier match. 
some of this had to do with like these crazy tornado force winds that were going through there. Uh, another big reason, in my opinion, was they actually were trying to get a new formation. So they went with, typically we go with a 4-3-3, but for this match against Northern Ireland, Bearhalter rolled out a 3-4-3 with essentially two wingback defenders. And as Bones was just talking about, those wingback defenders for us were Seginio Dest on the right side and Anthony Robinson, who plays for Fulham. Um, was on the left. And uh, to Bones' point, I, I totally agree that from what I've seen, so Junior Desk can play either side and there's no drop-off in form. So he's kind of just a luxury. So we have to figure out who's the best to fill in on the left or the right. And I agree with you. Reggie Cannon is a very good right back as a reserve. Anthony Robinson, I think, is a little bit closer to being a starter caliber left mm-hmm. back than Reggie Cannon is being a starter caliber right back. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah, I said that right. Yep. So, yeah, totally agree with you. So, we won this match. It should be expected. Northern Ireland is not a powerhouse by any means. I, it was sloppy. Uh, it really should have been a shutout. The, the Northern Ireland goal was late, and it was a ridiculous volley that I don't think anyone would have saved unless you were six foot eight. Um, just a perfect volley that dipped just over Zach Steffen, almost no angle. It was just, it was absurd. But beside the point, I, the only commentary I have on this is I was really actually pretty happy with the fact that Bear Helter was trying a three, four, three. And at first I was like, okay, this is kind of weird. Why is he trying to force this? But there's a couple of things that are good about it. So a couple of these guys for their clubs playing this formation which I think he was like, okay, well, these guys are comfortable with it. Let's roll it out. Let's give it a shot. Now's the time to test these new things. So Serginio Desk sometimes plays in a 3-4-3 for Barcelona. Uh, Anthony Robinson does, so he plays as that left wing back. Bones mentioned it defensively. He's okay going forward, though. Uh, is he, he, he can be dangerous, and having a three in the back to kind of support him enables him to go forward and then even Pulisic now since Tuchel took over at Chelsea they've been playing a lot of the three in the back with wing backs so it's a system that's familiar with some of the more important players in the starting lineup so it was good to test it out it was very ugly it didn't quite click I like the move because for another reason is listen top to bottom if we have our best players out there this is one of the strongest U.S. men's team on paper than maybe we've ever had but it still doesn't stack up. It can't compare body to body to, like I said, like Portugal or Germany or England. And so things that might help us bridge the gap and also with a little bit of luck might result in some successes, being able to uh, sort of adapt based on the opponent we're playing against and then also allow us to be a little bit more unpredictable so that whoever we're playing against can't just expect us to roll out a 4-3-3 every single time. I don't know if that will work. I think if the 3-4-3 doesn't actually start to click at any point, then we we can't go into a major tournament using it. But like I said, this is a friendly, this is the time to experiment with it. So I, I like that. I like that move by Bearhalter. Yeah, it, I, as, as do I. And I think one of the things that, um, or one of the criticisms in the past is that the U.S. men's national team has not been, um, imaginative. They haven't been experimental, um, and particularly when they needed to be. Uh, and they have been when uh, it's been disadvantageous, we'll say, and inappropriate. But you also think that that probably won't be for the long term. Understanding that 
both our our wingbacks do play in that system, or the wingbacks that we think that that should be our starting our starting within our starting defense. So Robinson and Dest do play in that formation. They're both pretty versatile, so I don't think that that's going to completely ruin their ability to adapt. Likewise, Christian Pulisic is is world class, so he can figure it out. Um, the other thing to note with that is the two guys that would probably be sitting on top of that back four, Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney, both defensively minded, both really quick, really aggressive, and great at, at tracking back, winning back balls. They were not with the team. And so you would think that you know, without them in the lineup, sure, we can roll that out. But with them in the lineup, I don't really see a, a need for it. Uh, again, it depends on who we're lining up against if it really is advantageous. But for me, I'd rather have two, those two guys on the field at all times rather than reconfiguring our, our lineups and having to sit at least one of those guys. Yeah, I think if everyone's healthy, then the smart move is to facilitate them. But, you know, Tyler Adams does have an injury history, so what if he's not available? Then maybe yep. a Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, or someone else in the, in the midfield might be better. So I do like the... The optionality, I guess you could say. Yep, I agree. Cool, cool. All right, good. Glad we're we're clicking right now. So <laughs> let's get into the the ugly the ugly portion of this episode. Let's talk about. Well, actually, let Ooh. let me point out one more thing. Oh, okay. So our listeners might recall, you know, probably four or five weeks ago, Trevor brought this idea to me. Like, hey, do you want to actually talk about what your ideal lineup is for for the U.S. Men's National Team? Who, who would be in it? Who are some dark horses? What do you think? And one guy that I mentioned to you was Luca De La Torre, mm-hmm. who you know, had been in Fulham's youth setup, never really cracked into the, the, full, uh, the, the first team squad, largely because of injuries, but then moved to the Netherlands, has been having a pretty good season. I said, he's a guy to watch out for. I think he offers a lot, of, a lot going forward. I think he's creative. And I think that he was probably the standout player in this camp. I think that he was really creative on the on the right side. He provides some versatility that and speed that we haven't had on that side in a while. I know you're a big Paul Areola fan, but I honestly think that a guy like Luca De La Torre seemed to offer a little bit more, particularly cutting inside rather than staying directly on the wings. Mm-hmm. I think that he really proved his worth and probably – entered into the conversation, at least for the Gold Cup, if not for the World Cup qualifiers. All right. All right. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I didn't pay attention too much to him. He did come on quite Classic. late. And, well, he came on late, and I, you know, I was a couple of Guinness deep and just enjoying myself, you know? So, okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. Um, yeah. I don't have anything to add. So, okay, now let's get into the bad All news. Right. But before we do that, if you haven't done so yet, please go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. And if you've done all of that, or even if you haven't, but you, you know, you're thinking, hey, maybe I have a friend that might like this podcast, why don't you go ahead and share this podcast with some people too? It would help us out a lot. We'd really appreciate it. And yeah, that's it. So let's get into the bad news, the ugly the elephant in the room, if you will. The U.S. men's national team did not qualify for Olympics. I guess it's like the third Olympics in a row. 
this I didn't actually I wasn't really aware of, but they the they haven't qualified since two thousand eight. Does that make three in a row? I don't know. Uh, 12, 16. Yep. Cool. All right. <laughs> Bones is the, the mathematician of the podcast too. So, okay. Just a little context, just in case you don't understand how this Olympic qualifying works. So for the Olympics, for soccer, only U23 players are eligible to play. So no player over that allowed to play. Then, so in this past week, we had the senior team playing friendlies and we had the U23 team trying to qualify. The qualifying for the Olympics was in Mexico. Something to note here is that many of our senior team players technically are eligible to play in the Olympics. I believe about 15 of them that were playing in these friendlies could have been on the U23 team. The problem is, is they couldn't actually physically be there for the qualifiers because I actually don't know all the details, but you have to get permission before the start of the season. And then there's COVID protocols. And so basically any European based players trying to get to Mexico for these qualifiers, it just wasn't going to happen. So the U23 U S men's national team was pretty much all MLS players. So professional players in a, you know, decent, okay league trying to qualify. And then the structure of the tournament, to qualify it was essentially a, a tournament you had a group stage round robin where two of the four of the group would move on into a knockout stage so the united states were in a group with mexico mexico and the u.s got out of the group stage then it was a essentially a semi-final then a final so four teams make it out of the group stage you have to make it to the final of this tournament tournament structure if you will to move to onto the olympics to qualify to the olympics so after the group stage united states got matched up against honduras had to beat honduras if they beat honduras then they would make it to this final game but also would automatically qualify for the olympics so they just had to win this one game against honduras at this point well obviously they didn't win that's why we're talking about it they lost to honduras 2-1 and i don't even care about talking about the match itself that much but the the world the u.s men's national team fan base world blew up when they didn't qualify and it's been a very polarizing topic because you got two camps there doesn't seem to be anyone in the middle and the two camps are you have the taylor twelmans of the world that say hey this is unbelievably embarrassing there is no excuse for this it is a disgrace the u.s men's setup U.S. soccer, they failed. This is just more of the old failures that have been haunting us for the last decade, blah, blah, blah. Then you got this other camp that says, you know what? The Olympics are cool and all. Like, for many other sports, it's like the holy grail. But for soccer, it's, yeah, it's okay. Like, it's, it's not that big of a deal we didn't qualify. We didn't have our best players there. If we had Polistic playing, if we had McKenney, Tyler Adams, we would have qualified no problem. We would have probably had a really good run in the Olympics, but it's not that big of a deal. Well, having one of these two opinions really pisses off the other side way too much. It's, it's kind of like politics right now. So I've got my opinion. Bones, I haven't actually really talked to you about this yet. I basically, for the prep for the show, I said, Bones, do you have an opinion on this? And if so, just without going into detail, tell me what you think. 
So I really don't know what you're going to say, but I want to open up the floor to you to say, give sort of your, your opinion on the fact that U.S. men's national team are not going to the Olympics. Yeah. I can't really say whether I'm – honestly, I think I'm going to be starting the, the revolution for there to be a middle ground here. So I do think it's a failure. I do think that it is indicative that there are still issues within U.S. soccer – I do think that it does set set us back in set us back a little bit, but I think for a differing reason than what Taylor Twelman is saying. I, I feel like Taylor Twelman is putting a lot of emphasis on the Olympics as the precursor to a World Cup. You know, you get to see nations compete outside of you know the the Concacaf. Yeah. But what what I'm actually what I actually think is that if you take this, this last U.S. Men's National Team camp, the senior camp, we hope that that team is very similar to the one that we see at the Gold Cup. I think that's probably close to what the best lineup we have or can produce is. I do think that if that happens, that's more important for our, our national team development and looking forward to the World Cup to have that team at the Gold Cup in, in its entirety as a, as a collective to get used to each other, playing with each other, so that when World Cup qualifying comes around, it's easy. We don't run into the needing to, to beat Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago on the last day of qualification. So I don't think that a lot of the players that we probably could have used for qualification for the Olympics would have ultimately been at the Olympics anyways. But I do think that ahead of the World Cup, it's good to have – another tournament where there aren't those players that are playing in the gold cup, but there are these reserve players that still have something to prove, but have something to offer and can get exposure to larger tournaments that can then make a push to maybe make a world cup team. So I think it's, it's more for the secondary players that we would have sent to the Olympics to get that exposure to a major tournament that really lose out. And so a lot of those, um, I guess, fringe players or, those support players are now thrown to the wayside. Yep. I'm, I agree. I, yeah, I, I think I agree with everything you say. I think wow. that my stance though is a little bit more into the camp of like, who cares? And it's not that, let me, let's just say I'm not full blown. I'm not to the people who are completely dismissing this because in my opinion, what's bad about this is the, this is, this could have been a prime opportunity to again give a little jolt to the popularity of the sport in the U S Yep. and I think maybe some people will dismiss the importance of it, but it's every major tournament, every major international tournament that that's, those are the tournaments that get hyped up in the U S amongst casual fans or casual, probably not even, not even fans, but people tune in, right. People tune into the world cup if there's, you know, the gold cup, you'll get, a, you'll get some eyes that you wouldn't normally get on the sport and the Olympics, every, the whole world's watching the Olympics. So yep. the problem is now is the Olympics are going to start. They're going to see some match, you know, Honduras versus Mexico. Mexico is going to be getting a lot of buzz because they're a very good team and people are going to be like, Oh, okay. You know, Mexico's doing well. How's the U S team doing in the Olympics? And then someone's going to have to sell them. Hey, we didn't qualify. 
and their reaction is gonna be like, oh yeah, that's right. We're this is America. We don't we don't play soccer. Like, or it's not our sport. We don't really care. It's a stupid sport. Whatever, you know. Whereas if they were there, they'd be like, okay, cool. I'm gonna watch those games and like get hyped about it. And uh, I think the the popularity of the sport is is growing regardless. But having that exposure into those big tournaments definitely accelerates it, which is is very important for us. You know, like missing the World Cup was I thought horrible for the growth of the sport. Yeah, They're obviously devastated. still growing and, and getting better, but it's, you know, it could have been at a much better rate. So I think that's the biggest problem with this. People were like, well, you don't actually have a funny story. I, there is a, a journalist on Twitter, journalist for CBS, whatever she covers soccer. And I, she made some comment and she basically was like, if you don't think this is important, then you don't know what you're talking about. And I, I, for the most part, I said, I agree with you. And um, <laughs> she got confused by me. I, I, I agreed with her. I responded to her tweet and said, I, I 100% agree with you. Because there were so many people who'd be like, this is stupid. No one cares about the Olympics, which to, my, to the point I just made, I think it's important. But even agreeing with her, people are so angry that she started like clapping back at me. And I was like, I just agreed with you. Like, why, why are you so sensitive about this? Like, <laughs> you're are we going to start getting me? hate mail? <laughs> I, I, it was a very strange I, I expected when I got a notification of her replying to me I assumed that she was going to be like yeah and this and this but she was just like do you even know what you're talking about I was like oh, okay never mind <laughs> I don't know anymore I, yeah now I'm confused but um, <laughs> it, it's just it was crazy to me it was so polarizing and then Taylor Twelman came out with this massive rant about it and that just made me di- <sighs> Taylor Twelman's a tough one for, for me because growing up I went to revolution games. You know, I grew up in Maine. New England revolution is, was the MLS team or is the MLS team. I, I went to those games and he was a striker and, you know, growing up when I was, you know, I was probably like eight years old going to this game and he was scoring goals and I was all excited. And I was like, Oh, this is my favorite soccer player. Then he retires. And then he's now a talking head at ESPN and he's trending so far towards the skip Bayless, Stephen A. Oh, Smith yeah. model. That's true. He's just trying to be super angry, have very, extreme takes on everything and he is so smug about it it's just it's he's you can't take him seriously anymore which sucks because like you'd think he'd be a good well-informed person but the most popular most well-known analysts in soccer in the u.s are just absolute clown shows between him and alexi lawless (laughs) yeah it's uh well it's pretty brutal so I'll, i'll say two things here one of the reasons why i also don't think it's a huge deal is the Olympics is already a, a year after it should have been. It's we're still battling COVID. Honestly, something may happen and they may have to cancel the Olympics again. So I, I'm not entirely sure. Don't in say what that. Form this oh, Olympics. Don't say that. Don't well, do that, you know, I'm just trying to be realistic here. Okay. But I I just think that I don't know how the Olympics is going to look this year as compared to all the years that we the the entire world has enjoyed it and i just don't think that i think it's going to be similar to i think it was in brazil when uh zika was uh, there was an an outbreak of zika and so any any person who you know may or may not have wanted to conceive children uh they could opt out of the olympics because it (laughs) apparently you know screwed up the biology and that stuff 
But you, you got to a point where the, the best athletes weren't necessarily playing at the or competing at the Olympics because of some external force and an right, environmental right. source or force in, in this in this instance. I think it's very similar this year where people may not be comfortable with playing or going to the Olympics because of COVID. And I don't know that the level of competition is going to be the same as it would be. Therefore, I don't know that it, it necessarily is the worst thing to happen. I just remembered what that journalist said to me. So she misinterpreted what I said, and then she clapped back being like, you don't think this is important to the players? You think that – or Chris, Christian Pulisic came out saying that he would love to play in the Olympics. And that, was, that had nothing to do with what I said to her in the first place. So I was a little confused by this. But it got me thinking. It's like every player probably say, would say, like, yeah, I'll play in the Olympics because of what the Olympics is. But, like, when yeah. it comes to soccer priorities – I don't know which it's like one A and one B. It's it's the senior team going to the World Cup is one A and one B is their club requirements. And then after that it's any other senior team requirements, which is Gold Cup, Nations League, whatever. Then third or fourth priority is the Olympics. So yeah, yeah of course they would like to go to the Olympics and experience, you know, walking out and representing your country. But in the soccer world, that's not, it's not, there's no way it's a super high priority unless you're in a, in a nation, in a, in a country that, you know, maybe it's just impossible for them to qualify for the World Cup because of the size of their country and the conference they're in and that sort of stuff. But that's not the case for us. And yeah, and, and also there's something to be said about if your country is hosting the Olympics. So for instance, when it was in Brazil, Neymar was playing for Brazil. I think Lucas Moura was playing for Brazil as well. I mean, those players are, are guys who, well, Neymar is the captain of the national team, the, the senior national team. Had it not been, had the Olympics not been in Brazil, I doubt that he would have played. Uh, he got all the pressure in the world to, to play from, right. from and, the country. And they won. And that yeah. was a huge deal because it was their first gold medal in, in soccer. Yeah. It was... And it was on home soil. I mean, it was a very, uh, you know, heartwarming story. But in reality, like, was that his first priority? Absolutely not. Like, yeah. it, had it not been in Brazil, he wouldn't have given a shit. Yeah, he probably exactly. would have been just hanging with his sister. And also, another point I'll make is, I think this kind of falls in the same bucket of some of the other sports in the Olympics that you can't take too seriously because you th- these random arbitrary rules restrict it's if you want the olympics to be taken seriously for the sport you have to enable countries to put out their best of the best so for the longest time the the non-professional rule in the olympics for basketball it basically meant that no one cared about basketball in the olympics until they let professional players start playing again and i I think that's the same case for baseball but i'm not even sure if i don't know but Uh, either way i think so if you think it's still it has still has to be amateur because that's why no, that's they what I instituted mean. the World Baseball Classic. That's what I mean. It's it's oh. so it, it doesn't allow you to have your best players represent the country, which yep. diminishes the meaning the meaningfulness of the Olympics. Like you have this random cap on at they have to be under twenty three, then most of your for the U.S. it's actually all of our best players are under twenty three pretty much, but yeah. most cases it's not the case. And so how can you take it really that seriously anyway? So. Yeah, I think in summary, you can say that we're in the middle, maybe a little bit more towards like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. Also, one final point, sorry. If you expected us to qualify, 
with our reserve players, that's on you. Listen, yep. we're not a good soccer country. We're trending in the right direction. But you assuming that we have the depth to just qualify for whatever the fuck we want with whoever we roll out there, that's on you. So like people like Taylor Twelman can that like that's your own fault. Those are the expectations you set yourself. So getting mad at them for I mean, come it's not like they didn't try. Like, Jesus, I don't know. Like just all our best players, we have about twenty players that are really world class that are all super young. They're probably not even going to do well this World Cup if we do qualify. So let's just chill with the expectations. This is this is we're going for the long haul here. Okay. So. Do you think that you'll ever get Taylor Twelman's attention on Twitter? Um, because I feel like that would be a fun interaction. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not in the minority. I think everyone thinks he's a bit of a clown. So no, uh, I I agree. But I feel like. I feel I like think, you would I think just have it, fun with it. I think if this podcast got a little bit more legitimacy, then, then yeah, maybe. So the only way to do that is for you listeners, please share this with as many people as you can. Yeah, get that's us on you more guys. listeners. Get us a, a couple more subs, and then, uh, then you can see me go toe to toe with this Taylor Twelman guy. Okay. So four bones. I'm Trevor. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.